So you've spent the last day or so really awakening in the body, coming into full presence, exploring sensations, gaining some stability, and beginning to metabolize all of the different things that have started to arise as you pay attention to the body. Sometimes as we awaken in the body, difficult emotions and physical sensations that are difficult all start to arise and move through. They get released from the hiding places in our being. This is called meditation blues. Sometimes it breaks my heart to watch my mind. Cold self-interest, insistent fear and judgment, whispered insults, vengeful fantasies, triumph and despair. A conditioned unfolding so impersonal we take it personally. Sometimes aghast at the casual cruelty of even minor fears and celebrations. Sometimes it breaks my heart to watch my mind. And sometimes it stays broken long enough to touch even this pain with love. Sometimes the mercy washes even Lady Macbeth's hands, turns tragedy to grace, and makes it all worthwhile. Sometimes it breaks my mind to watch my heart. And so now we're going to begin to watch our hearts. We really need to awaken all the beautiful qualities of the heart center, of the chest center. The love, compassion, kindness, empathy, joy, that sense of being fully alive, delight. That's almost that abiding in a sensitivity that's our true nature. And so I'd like to invite you now to really bring awareness to your body, as we've been doing, to notice how your body is in this moment. What's here? And to have a sense of the quality of attention. How have you been being with the sensations in your body? Maybe with kindness or indifference or resistance or irritation? just to notice the quality of attention. And then to shift your attention a little to the chest center. What are you aware of when you do that right now? Just gently to be aware. Whether there's contraction or openness, quivering, firmness, sensitivity. And as I continue to talk, to continue to have that awareness be present for you. The sensations in the body, 
and to just notice your attitude towards yourself. All of the Buddha's teachings really come from a compassionate heart. Compassion and kindness aren't secondary to our mindfulness practice. They're primary qualities. They're actually the primary qualities by which the Buddha was recognized. And they're why he stayed in the worldly realm to share the teachings after he'd realized enlightenment. And the story goes that um, when he was first realized enlightenment, he thought that the teachings would be too difficult, um, that it would be too hard for people to fully understand the subtlety of what he'd realized. But the Brahma god, Sampati, saw this and was very concerned. And he appeared in front of the Buddha and he was worried that this opportunity for awakening might be lost from all beings. And so he said, for the sake of those beings on earth with only a little dust before their eyes, who will open their hearts to this teaching? There are people who will open their hearts. For their sake, I beseech you, teach the Dharma, turn the wheel of the Dharma. So the Buddha surveyed the world and found that there were beings who would understand the truth and be able to manifest it in their heart. So you notice that it's the understanding and the manifestation in our heart that brings us able to act from that place of realization. And so out of his great compassion, he stayed and he shared the teachings. And he devoted many of the discourses to the development of these heart qualities, which are called the four Brahma-Viharas, loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy or gladness, and equanimity. And in one of these discourses he said, the whole world I suffuse with a heart grown great with loving-kindness, free of enmity, untroubled. Likewise with a heart, heart possessed with compassion, possessed with empathy, gladness, and with equanimity. If I walk up and down, My walking is sublime. My standing is sublime. My sitting is sublime. This is what I mean when I say it's a sublime abiding place. Formerly, this heart of mine was confined and not made to grow. But now my heart is boundless, well made to grow. And he meant that these qualities enabled him to develop the mind. They enable us to develop the mind. And therefore, the feelings and the thoughts that formally limit and constrict our minds become boundless. And to put it in more simple terms, Ayakima says, we open the heart so that the wisdom can fall in, so that it becomes absorbed and can truly be expressed.
So what the Buddha was pointing to was this innate, vibrant quality of the heart that makes us feel the urge and need to live fully for more than just an immediate demand to satisfy our senses. But the problem is that in our culture, we've perfected cultivating the mind, and we've perfected as a society cultivating sense desires, feeding sense desires. We've neglected cultivating the heart. And so we're living in a world where we're losing the sensitivity to that shared humanity that the Buddha was exemplifying. It's a confused world, and it's forgotten, really, what it's like to be in touch in that way and to, to know deeply. And so we're caught in fear, anxiety, worry, greed, delusion. As John Kabat-Zinn puts it, as a species, we need to heal ourselves from the autoimmune disease that is us. I was very privileged um, a number of years ago to, um, to go to a conference um, in Vancouver that was um, of five different spiritual traditions um, talking about how to cultivate the heart. So there was the Dalai Lama, Shirin Abadi, um, who is um, a Muslim woman from Iran who won the Nobel Peace Prize, Desmond Tutu, Rabbi Shakta Shalomi, and um, a First Nations elder, Joan Archibald, from Vancouver. And they were talking about how to cultivate the heart at this time in our lives. And it wasn't just what they said, it was how they embodied all the qualities of the heart between them. There was this interaction that was loving, friendly, playful, inspiring, um, joyful, and deeply moved by the suffering that they saw, but totally connected with each other um, in this way that was so respectful and clear. And everyone in the room felt it. We could all feel this um, beautiful energy that was emanating, that they were demonstrating just by how they were being as much as what they were saying. And I particularly remember Desmond Tutu, he had been awarded, as they all were, an honorary doctorate um, for some of the work that he's done um, in reconciliation work. And he was accepting the award with this really moving speech on behalf of all the people in South Africa who've worked so hard during the years of apartheid. And then after his speech, people were moved to tears. And then he gave this mischievous little grin And he said, you must be saying, such a noble man, so humble. But let me tell you a story. When I first came to the States, I was given a baseball cap, and he was traveling with his wife. And he said, when I put the hat on, it was too small, it didn't fit. And did my lovely, loving wife say, oh, the hat is too small? No. She turned to the audience, he said, his head is too big. (laughs) And so it was a really lovely way that he had of um, having humor and humility and owning his own humanness and vulnerability. 
And it was just a joy to watch them interacting and playing with each other, and yet at the same time really recognizing the suffering and the injustice in the world. So how do we uncover these qualities? How do we uncover them so that we can work with the difficulties and with the pain that arises in our lives and as we practice? So that we can come to understand what the blocks are and how it is that we've been disconnected from our true nature. Because that's what happens. We get disconnected from the way we actually are. One of the ways in our culture is that rather than cherish ourselves in the West, we tend to hate ourselves. As Pema Chodron describes, self-degradation in the West sounds like we don't have much self-importance, but actually you're still full of yourself, but you're full of yourself as a negative thing. Or as Yvonne Rand, one of the Zen teachers, puts it, I'm the little piece of shit that's the center of the universe. (laughs) So we've come to believe that there's something fundamentally wrong with us. We've shut ourselves out of our own hearts and we shut each other out of our hearts. But as we do this practice, we begin to find that there isn't anything fundamentally wrong. That actually goodness is our inherent nature. And that's what the Buddha was teaching all along. That our true nature is unassailable. That our value is unassailable. And that we can look at our experience through eyes of kindness and hold ourselves in our hearts. This is a famous little piece from Thomas Merton. It was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths where neither sin nor desire can reach, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could see themselves as they really are, if only we could see each other that way, there would be no reason for war for hatred or cruelty. The big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. But looking at ourselves through the eyes of kindness doesn't mean being blind to the truth. It's not about being nice. I grew up in England being taught to be nice And I know really well that nice doesn't equal kind. So it's being able to touch our faults, our weaknesses, our mistakes with patience and tenderness rather than dwelling in aversion and self-judgment. That way we can include all of ourselves. We can offer a friendly, open, accepting heart. So in that way, we incline, we open the heart towards inclusion rather than separation. It's called unconditional acceptance. And that unconditional acceptance sees really and clearly and precisely what's true. But it doesn't judge it. 
doesn't place a value on it. When I was training to be um, a physician many years ago, I had the privileges of working with a doctor who embodied that. And we were working in an inner city, very busy hospital, and this was in the late 70s. And um, one night, I, my job was to just follow him around and just basically do as he did. And we were shown into this room where there was a young man who had taken a lot of acid and had big cuts on his arms and was kind of bleeding all over the place and hiding under the table. And the security guards had been called in to drag him out and hold him down so that I could sew up his arm. And my friend, Dr. S, I'll call him, sent out the security guards and he said, I think we can take care of this. And he got down under the table with the young man and we both knelt under the table. And he just held him very gently and talked to him very softly and just entered into his world. And after a little while he said, you know, um, this young woman here could sew up your arm so that the snakes don't get in anymore. It will be okay. And so gradually we were able to get him out from under the table and I was able to do that. And it was so moving that he had complete unconditional acceptance for how this young man was. There was no judgment. And from that room, we walked into a room where there was, this all happened on the same night, where there was a young woman who had just tried to commit suicide. And she had gotten, she was a teenager, and she'd gotten pregnant, and then had given her child up for adoption. And she'd been filled with shame and self-hatred and couldn't forgive herself and wanted to die. And so, again, he just sat with her and he, he said, yeah, it was a mistake to get pregnant. But what you did took the greatest courage. You should feel really proud of yourself for the courage that it takes to do what you did. And so he saw clearly who she was, and he held that with kindness. And so it's that deep kindness that can be so healing in the midst of pain in that way. So compassion, then, is really a manifestation of kindness in a situation of suffering. It's that strong, deep feeling within us that simply wants to relieve suffering. It's a natural response. The Dalai Lama calls it a universal religion because it's indispensable. It's this inner strength and hope and peace because we're fully being there for ourselves and each other. And without it, we can't open to the suffering in the world without getting overwhelmed or pushing things away. And in a way, it liberates us from the suffering because it enables us to reveal it and then it suffuses it with kindness. It's almost like it melts it. And the wisdom that we have, the wisdom part of the equation, 
provides the equanimity to see the truth as it actually is. Yes, it is terrible. This is how it is. And it's the compassion that opens our heart so we can hold it. It's really hard to um, cultivate compassion. Often when we begin to face our own pain and others' pain, we push it away. We feel it's not possible. We can't do it. And it involves being willing to feel the pain, to allow the reality of suffering to not turn away from it, even though it's our instinct to push it away. So we're allowing the reality, yeah, it really is this way. And it's a practice to open to what's unpleasant rather than to turn away from it. So compassion practice is courageous love. But what's interesting is that it uses up energy to contract and push it away. And if you're like me, you're a fixing type, someone who tries to fix it for other people and myself so I don't feel the pain, it gets overwhelming. It's exhausting to go around in your life trying to fix everything. Or if you're the type that freezes and denies and uses various substances to avoid, that gets depressing. And so we fall into these two places. And either place we can judge ourselves. And in that way, wall ourselves off from our hearts with self-judgment. And when others are in pain and start behaving unskillfully, we can shut them out of our hearts in the same way. So let's just explore compassion a little bit. So I'll invite you, if you would like, just to close your eyes for a few moments. And just bring your attention to your heart center. However that is for you. And then just to bring into your awareness some difficulty that you may have been struggling with today. Could be a difficulty in your body, physical pain, or it could be a difficulty in your mind or in your emotions, difficult thoughts, difficult feelings. And just notice what the experience is like in your body, in your mind, in your chest. how you're treating it, this difficulty. And then just very gently, if it feels right, say to yourself softly, I care about this pain. May I be held in compassion. May I be free from pain and sorrow. 
May I be at peace. See if you can just soften and move gently towards this difficulty as much as you can without tightening into aversion. Softening in the heart. As though you could unconditionally open to life just a little at a time. just allowing this to fade, knowing that even as I continue talking, you can continue to hold this in your heart. And we'll do something slightly different. Again, just if you want to try this. Now bring into your awareness Some part of yourself that you've shut down to could be a way you judge yourself, something you're ashamed of, some way that you treat yourself harshly. And notice how that is in the body. Where you feel that in the body, what the sensations are. how it feels in the heart. And then very gently, I care about this pain. And just to name whatever quality it is softly, just this is a moment of fear, or shame is like this, embarrassment is here. I care about this pain. Oscar Wilde once said, it's not the perfect, but the imperfect that deserves our love. So noticing what it's like to be compassionate towards yourself. or to have the possibility of that if it feels it's not possible right now. Knowing that this is a process. Simply our intention to gradually open and awaken these qualities of the chest center of the heart. So pain and suffering require the presence of loving-kindness and compassion, sensitivity, gentleness, so that we can soften and explore them without trying to fix it or get rid of it. And when we can do it in this way, 
it's almost as though we're exposing these tender places to healing. There's a way that when we open and soften rather than contract, the energy gets freed. There's a kind of loosening of stuck places so that the suffering gets transformed and the compassion and the kindness are like purifying forces. So hatred gets transformed to love. Confusion gets transformed to clarity. Greed gets transformed to generosity. And so gradually in our practice as we begin to open in this way we can get to move more and more towards what scares us. We build a little more trust and a little more courage to open a little more. And when we find ourselves stuck and caught we can just be with this a little more and be curious as that quality of curiosity What's blocking my heart right now? Very often, all our past pain kind of defines and limits our experience in the present. Someone says or does something and it triggers it very easily and we act from that place. And really what's happened is we've lost our connection with our true nature. And as we continue our awakening of the heart, that connection gets built again. And then when someone says or does something, we're less reactive. We're more able to come from a place that is trusting in our own value. So if someone says something that's a judgment, we don't take it on. Or as Stephen Levine said, a conditioned unfolding so impersonal, we take it personally. So we begin to take it less personally and to be less triggered in that way because we're more connected with our true nature. Mindfulness helps that because mindfulness, rather than seeing the difficult mind states as who we are, sees them as just states of suffering. And it's easier to allow the anxiety or the fear or the rage or whatever it is when we know that they're just states of suffering, that they arise and that they pass. They become less stuck and less solid than when we're identified with them and seeing them as permanent. There's a spaciousness when we don't see them as inherently part of us. And that way, when we know they're not part of our true nature, we can see the truth of anger and greed and self-hatred and fear and all these states. We can see the truth of them when they arise and we know that they're ephemeral and, and not solid. And we can also see that that's true for others when they're behaving unskillfully. That's not who they are. They're just having a very unpleasant moment in a very unskillful way. And so we don't put that on them as a permanent personality characteristic. And as our 
connection with ourself deepens in that way, we also open to an interconnectedness. Um, in some of my sitting groups in Vancouver, we've been doing loving-kindness practice for the last month. Everyone's been doing it. So we've been doing metta to ourselves and to all sorts of different categories throughout the month. And so um, I've been noticing how beneficial that is for me. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving through traffic and somebody pulled out from a parking space right in front of me and I had to brake really hard and I just missed them. And I could feel that kind of adrenaline rush. And normally, but there would be this upwelling of you stupid whatever, you know, in my mind would, would come with that and the rage that would come from the fear that there might have been an accident. And instead what arose was compassion for all the times that I've done things without thinking or looking. And compassion for them, whatever, whatever state they were in, that they did that without looking. And it was really refreshing to feel that instead of to feel the usual contraction. And I thought, gee, metapractice really works. <laughs> because there's a gradual opening of our heart in that way and an ability to really connect with others and with our humanness and the ways that we all get caught and we make mistakes. So there's compassion for our greed and our hatred and our delusion. And there's an understanding that it arises out of causes and conditions. Maybe the person got up late or whatever it was. You know, all these things arise out of causes and conditions. They're not inherently who we are. There's not an inherent global badness or axis of evil. There are causes and conditions. We and others behave unskillfully because of those causes and conditions. And when it's held in softness, we can see our patterns clearly. And we can really own them and learn from our mistakes and not keep perpetuating them if we're able to see them because we can hold them with compassion. The far enemy of compassion is cruelty. Sometimes when we can't handle the depth of the pain that's occurring for us, we try to get rid of that difficult energy by striking out. Sometimes the cruelty is directed to ourselves. Sometimes it's to others. Our feelings get projected out or internalized in that way. But if we can include it with mindfulness and tenderness as just states of suffering, we can allow the energy so that it can loosen and transform. We can face the truth with kindness, with tenderness. There's this much fear and pain right now. There's this much anger. I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. I need to take care of this. So that way there's empathy, there's compassion for ourselves. And we take the time for that. And in that way, it starts to loosen. And then we can take action from a more skillful place. And also we can have compassion for the suffering of both people who are doing the oppressing 
as well as those who are oppressed. The Dalai Lama often describes how it's our enemies that teach us patience. He says, I must emphasize that merely thinking that compassion and patience are good will not be enough to develop them. We must wait for difficulties arise to arise and then attempt to practice these qualities. And who creates such opportunities? Not our friends, of course, but our enemies. They are the ones who give us the most trouble. So if we really wish to learn compassion, we should consider our enemies to be our best teachers. So compassion doesn't condone cruelty, but it doesn't add to it either. Often when we're the most judging and the most angry, it's when we most need compassion. And that's often when we're the least likely to get it. Years ago in my practice, a woman came to me. This was when I just started my practice. A woman came to me and she confided that she'd been abusing her children. And I was horrified and I reacted in a horrified way. And, you know, I'm going to have to report this and take care of this and so forth. And, of course, you know, I I did what I was supposed to do as a physician. But she never came back to see me again. And I felt really bad about it afterwards. And I realized that what she really needed was for me to have said, it sounds really hard for you right now that, that you're in this place where you don't know what to do and you can't avoid causing more suffering. How can I help you? And so having compassion for myself that I didn't know how to do that yet was also part of the process. And so we have to respect where we are. Sometimes we can't have compassion for ourselves or for each other. It's just too difficult. The pain and the rage are too powerful. We're really caught. Sometimes it can help to take refuge and to remember to take refuge Someone once suggested to me, um, imagine looking at yourself through the eyes of the Dalai Lama. How would he respond? Or to acknowledge to yourself, I'm really caught in this. Stephen Lewin once said, a moment of trust is letting the water support you. It requires forgiveness, compassion, kindness. It's about healing from our difficulties and sorrows, not pushing away, but by kindness. So that sense of letting the water support you is opening to the compassion around you that's already there. And some of you have spoken about how you can sense that in the room, difficulties that you might not have been able to face at home alone. There's a sense of it being supported in the compassion that's here that universal compassion, so that you can trust a little, knowing that it's held, that whatever it is, isn't really containable. You don't have to try and contain it in this one little heart, but that it's a universal heart, 
the suffering of the world isn't containable. But we learn to be able to allow it to pass through so it doesn't stay stuck and overwhelm us. The, there's a near enemy, as it's called, to compassion. And that's where we get caught in either self-pity or in overwhelm. Where somehow we are identifying with the pain and the suffering. So there's a difference between no, not being separate our hearts not being separate from each other and identifying with the pain. And so when we are with someone who's suffering and they become subject, then it gets overwhelming. If the pain is not who they are, it's possible to allow it to move through. And we don't get caught then in trying to fix it. We don't get caught in grief and overwhelm. And it's a fine line. We feel another's pain, but we don't identify with it. We don't take it so personally. And so it helps to be really gentle with ourselves in this process. Um, I was in a place in my life um, some months ago where a lot of my friends were having a very difficult time with serious illness in one way or another. And I'd had yet another call from someone who was in a lot of need. And so I found myself withdrawing and judging and being critical. And I didn't, it felt very uncomfortable. And so I couldn't respond in a compassionate way. I felt like my heart was closed. And so I just really paid attention to it gently. Oh, this is what criticality is like. This is what withdrawing from neediness is like. And there began to be some compassion. Compassion for myself that I just couldn't be with it right now. And compassion for the friend who was in difficulty. And in allowing it in that way, in not resisting how it was, in not resisting the resistance, there was a natural transformation. And the compassion was restored again. There was a reconnection with true nature. When we're in resistance, there's a block. When we can allow how it actually is, even if how it actually is, is that we don't want it to be the way it is, as Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says, I'm not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay. It's allowing it to be not okay, really honoring how it is. When we're able to be with our own pain and another's, without trying to fix it, there's a respect and an honoring in that. There's a fully allowing it to be the way it is. And all of us have had that experience when we're having a hard time and someone tries to fix it for us 
and they try and give us all sorts of suggestions and advice and all we really want to do is have a good complaint. We don't want to be fixed. We just want to be heard, to be held in kindness. And we don't want to have to protect someone else from our pain. It's a relief to be able to really be held by someone and have those feelings in that way. Something I found helpful is to, when I'm with someone who's in, with a lot of suffering in the work that I do, and I feel that kind of contraction, is to just pay attention and really notice the process of my heart closing and to sort of explore what's going on, what's happening as my heart closes, what is it that I can't handle, that I can't bear right now. And as I do that, it enables that pain to be seen. And there's compassion for that, and it starts to release. So as we begin to fully allow our pain and our grief and all the things that are happening in our lives and in the world, as we begin to allow it and to work with it in our hearts, it also makes room for joy, this other quality of the heart. And there's such a freedom in that. I was teaching a retreat some time ago, and it was just after the um, invasion of um, Iraq, I think. And some of the people on the retreat were having a very hard time with anger and fear and hurt and grief. And so we were doing our best to allow the unbearable. And one of the women went off into the woods on her own. And she said she just really fully allowed her grief. She really cried and yelled and just completely allowed all that was passing through. And she was being mindful of it at the same time. And so she was going, heart is breaking, tears are falling, tears, wetness, softness. And then suddenly she found herself saying, pleasant, pleasant. And then she said, pleasant? (laughs) And she realized that as her heart was opening to her grief, and the grief was pouring through, all this joy was moving in and this feeling of connection to all people who have suffering and who also have joy. And she looked around her and she was able to see and feel the beauty that was around her as well. So as our hearts open to joy, there's this ability to fully be in life, to fully connect and to open in this way. Ajahn Sumedho says, When the heart is free from illusions of self, there arises a loving quality in the pure joy of being, without expectation of being anything or anybody, nor the expectation of anything lasting or being permanent. Joy in just being in this moment.
So when we can open into the interconnectedness of the love, of the joy, of the compassion, of that quality of delight, we found that it's limitless. It's pure nature meeting pure nature. And it cuts through the separation that's between us. And so as we're exploring this awakening in the body that starts to move through all the difficulties that become released, that brings us to awaken in our heart to begin to open to those qualities too. Gradually, in our own time, they begin to awaken and soften and to heal. And we need this connection between all the qualities of being, between the clarity and the wisdom, so that the compassion doesn't become mushy or sentimental, so that the loving-kindness isn't blind, and so that we see that these difficult qualities are not personal and not permanent. And so the invitation is to continue with this awakening and to allow this opening in whatever form it takes for you, however the journey unfolds, and to trust in your own heart as it unfolds these next few days. So may you find joy in your practice. And may you open and experience love, compassion, empathy, and delight. This sensitivity that is able to hold all these experiences. So let's sit together for a moment.
May I be held in compassion. May I be held in peace. May my heart open to loving kindness. Thank you for your kind attention. This talk was given by A. Adrienne Ross at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on June 22, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma 